Hi, I'm Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Worker Being Podcast. Today, we are talking about some trends for 2022. It's the new year. Um, and so, yeah, so we're excited to talk about some uh, trends that we think are going to be popular this year in the workplace wellness space. Yeah, and I'll add the caveat that I hope they're going to be popular. I think some of the things that we're seeing occurring today are like bubbles of this growing trends, but it's also a list of four things that we think people really need to focus on. So there's some major challenges that organizations are facing right now with, you know, the prolonged pandemic stuff and people, you know, having worked remote for so long and how do you do return to office and all these different things. Um, the whole idea of gr- the great resignation, even if it's not really a great resignation, the way people are talking about it, but um, there's a lot of stuff going on and these four areas are trends that we're starting to see, but I think are also ones that need to continue to grow. Um, so it's not just, I guess my long story short, it's not just trends that we're seeing, but also like what we're hoping to continue to push forward because I think they're really important. Yeah. So it's kind of a little bit of things that we're seeing inklings of, but also things that we kind of want to be part of the conversation to say people should pay more attention to this and here's why exactly yes so and yeah I'm very excited about 2022 I think there's a lot of potential in a new year it's always fun to start a new year so I think these four areas are are good for people to start talking about in companies as they're planning their year yeah totally I agree and I'm excited to dive into them so The first of them is a focus on culture. Um, And so we all know that it's really important to uh, make sure that your employees are happy and thriving. And oftentimes in workplaces in the past, and I think still today, when people don't know how to do that, they end up just like throwing money at people. And We know from the research that once people get to a place in their salary where they feel like they're being paid a fair rate, so if you're underpaying people, that's not a good strategy, but if you're paying people a fair rate based on the market rate and their compensable skills and that kind of stuff, once people get to that place, these other cultural elements become so much more important for predicting whether or not they stay in their jobs and whether or not they're happy in their jobs. So... Some of you listening may have had this experience, but, you know, the idea that you're really unhappy in a particular place and they say, well, what if we gave you a raise? It might sound nice in the moment, but the reality is you're still going to have to wake up and do that job that every day, work with those people every day and be in that environment every day. And over time, the extra money kind of loses its luster. So the idea of trying to build these like strong cultures and organizations that provide really good, decent jobs and places to work is something that companies will likely spend even more time on because employees are starting to realize that they can like demand that. Yeah, exactly. I think it's really important for companies to know that money isn't everything, right? And like, you're right. There's so much work around this idea that money only goes so far. Um, So I'm glad you brought that up because I think it's really important because I see it all the time. I see organizations constantly being like, okay, well, we have a bunch of people leaving, so let's give everyone a bonus or let's give people raises or let's think about that. 
perspective instead of recognizing the potential issues that they have internally from a cultural perspective and figuring out how to fix those things. And it's not an easy fix, right? Money can seem like an easier fix because it's like, here you go, here's some money, boom, done. Um, And the culture change piece is a lot harder and also a lot harder for leaders to take a good look at themselves and see, hey, what are we doing wrong? Because let's be frank, like an organization made made up of people and those people are the ones that are creating a culture that's negative or challenging or what have you, where people are not willing to stay. And so I think this one's really important, especially with this whole concept of the great resignation, which like I said, I don't necessarily love that title, but it's so buzzy and people are talking about it a lot. And I think it's, um, this is like where the reason why that's happening. Cause as you said, people are demanding more and better things beyond just pay and that's where we're seeing this shift in the workforce where people are moving away from organizations that don't value them, that don't give them the things that they need to be able to have a thriving life and are shifting to try to find work at companies that have that culture or, you know, do something on their own or what have you so they can have the type of life that they want to build. And we talk about this all the time that work and life, like work is such a big percentage of your life and you want to have a positive, good life. Why would you want to waste your time at a company that's not caring for you, not a good place to work, not somewhere that you're jazzed about, excited to, you know, show up and do the work because then you're just wasting so much of your time being unhappy. Um, so I think this focus on culture is extremely important right now. Um, yeah. I actually saw, sorry, I was going to say one more thing. I saw this article about, I can't remember what it was called now and I'm going to like totally butcher it, but there was an article, um, I think in Forbes that talked about like the lie down. Have you heard about this? No. Um, let's see. Lying flat. Have you heard of lying flat? No, it sounds very sedentary. (laughs) Um, but it, it ties into this theme because it is another reason why a focus on culture can be really important. So lying flat is this concept where an employee, maybe they can't quit their job right now or they haven't found other work. But what they do instead is they just do the bare minimum. So Mm -hmm. this kind of idea, um, you always hear about people like quitting, but not actually quitting. Right. Yeah. So they're now at work, but they're, they're not really there or actively there anymore. Um, this is the same concept or or similar concept where it's just like, I'm going to do the bare minimum. So I get my paycheck. No one's going to fire me, but I'm not going to really engage that much because I'm not enjoying it. I'm not enjoying the people I work with, the place I work, blah, blah, blah. Um, And I think that's actually probably more dangerous than just people resigning. So I think organizations really need to think about this culture piece because they have a bunch of people leaving and then a bunch of people lying flat. They're not going to get their goals met, right? They're going to struggle with a lot of that. Yeah, I think it's a really good call out because sometimes it's like, you know, it's not like don't try to fix something that isn't broken because sometimes you can't actively see that something's broken. Like it's not always going to be an employee saying, I don't like it here. I want to quit. I'm leaving or acting out or like engaging in like negative workplace behaviors. Like it could just be that like you have a lot of people that could be a lot happier and healthier. And then like having the energy and the like enthusiasm to do more that you're like, Oh, we have a lot of people who are like a three on the performance scale, but maybe they could be fives in a different environment. Right. So I think Mm -hmm. that that's, 
I think that's a really good call out. And the other thing that I was thinking too, that we've talked about before, I know, um, in like speaking and client engagements and things like that is like so many people, when they try to assess what employees want, they'll ask, you know, what do you, what do you want more of, or what can, you know, someone's going to leave and you say, what can we do to make you stay? Especially in situations like that, where, um, we're so used to having conversations that are only rooted around money People will be like, well, when I ask employees what would make them stay or when people are leaving and I ask them, you know, well, what can we do to keep you here? The answer is money. And that's true in a lot of instances. But a lot of times that's just because like you have only communicated that the way that you show value to employees is through money. So when employees think about what they get, you could do for them, they're not getting creative. Like they're talking back to you in the same language that you talk to them. So if it's always like you're throwing money at problems, then employees learn like, Oh, the way that people show their value to me is through money. And so when they, when you say, well, what do you need? They're like, I don't know. How about some money? Right? Like, so it's not even that they can always articulate exactly what it would take to keep them there even when they're on their way out so like doing more in-depth exit interviews instead of like asking like sort of broad questions like um I hear people saying like well when I ask them you know what what they would want they say oh maybe money or that's the language you're talking so people aren't gonna get as creative sometimes in terms of thinking about like well what actually is it about the environment that's making me not want to be here so I think that's another like point to think about is like the way you show value to employees is sometimes the way they ask for it back. That doesn't mean that that's the only way that you can show value or they couldn't, they couldn't realize what's broken if you did things differently. Yeah. And that's a really great point because it kind of depends on the level of the employee, the amount of experience they have, right? If an employee's never really worked in an environment that they can compare to your workplace and say, Hey, like they did these things and that really was good or not good or whatever. Um, it can be hard for, especially for greener employees that are just like, I don't know, never worked anywhere that I really liked and was happy. And so right. money is like the only thing I can think of. Right. And like for us, that seems, um, and probably for people listening to the show, it seems obviously there's other things, but not everyone is going to be as in tune to that as we are, because this is obviously a topic that we care a lot about. So I think that's really, really important to consider as you're asking your exit interview questions and talking to employees, especially if you want to retain them. I mean, there's this whole idea of um, not just looking at exit interviews, but like retention interviews. So like yeah. talking to people, finding out why they're there and what would make them continue to want to stay and those types of things and d- diving into, you know, the leadership, the culture, the coworkers, the work itself, like asking really important questions around the details of the job itself and the culture and the environment are super important to make uh, it known and clear as to what you need to do from a cultural perspective. So it's very important to not just ask a broad blanket statement of what can we do? Nothing else like help give some guidance as to what can we do in, in this arena, like in terms of our leadership, in terms of our whatever, right. To help maybe people think through what else can be done. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Or even just doing exit interviews or retention interviews in general, because some people don't even do those. Um, True. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think that this is a really good call out that if your company is not already focused on, company culture. And in many places, if you're remote, you might need to rethink how you re-infuse if you had a good culture, but you're having a hard time kind of maintaining that 
um, virtually, like what can you do? What are the elements of your culture that were really important to people and how can you maintain those virtually? And we talked about that in some of our prior episodes about how to create positive relationships virtually and positive, um, you know, leader follower relationships. So um, if you're trying to like preserve a culture or transform a culture, um, definitely have this on your radar because employees realize more and more now that they can have an influence on their culture. And there are companies that are doing a really good job with this, whereas there were fewer of those companies around before. And so um, it's just something to really have on your radar as you're thinking about how to differentiate your company and then also get the bonus that people will be happier and healthier and more enthusiastic about the work they're doing. Yeah, exactly. I think that this whole idea about culture too and like thinking about things more broadly kind of leads to the second trend or hopeful trend um, around mental health and supporting mental health. So from a cultural perspective, obviously all the things we just talked about, making sure culture is functioning properly, people are happy, is going to obviously make people feel better and have them be more well, both mentally, physically, etc. But when I'm talking about mental health support, we're really focusing on like true mental health issues and challenges. And um, I know we just recently talked about this on the podcast and our blog, um, but I think it's something that we as a culture within at least the States and probably I would say it's broader than just the U S um, don't do a good job of supporting mental health, both in our personal lives and our governments. And of course, in the organizations as well. So I think companies can step up for sure and make a really big impact in helping support mental health challenges that employees face. Yeah. I mean, I think more so now than ever, because as we continue to get hit with, you know, new and evolving, um, you know, ways that COVID is impacting our lives. And just as people let it sink in, um, how much, how weird the past couple of years have been, and also like taking stock of all the impacts that that has had and continues to have on exacerbating mental health issues. It has become more clear that people need to talk about these things at work and that they want to be more open and honest about these things at work. But the stigma against doing that still exists. So it's like this like desire to have these conversations and be more open and vulnerable about it. But then like a fear that doing that will create uh, negative perceptions at work. And so a big piece of this, and we've talked about this before Um, When we had Marissa Alert on the show as well, um, that, you know, people need to role model that it's okay to share if you're struggling. Like, it's a really powerful thing for a leader to say, you know, over the course of the pandemic, I noticed that I was getting a lot more anxious or feeling really depressed sometimes. And here's what I've been doing to help take care of myself. Or even if you haven't, um, you know, been struggling with something in this arena to that extent, to make it clear that you're open to that, like sharing articles with your team about the importance of, um, you know, uh, taking care of your mental health and, uh, you know, letting people know that it's on your radar, that people on the team could be struggling with those sorts of things sends a really good message to the team that this is a discussable topic and that it's not something that they need to be afraid of bringing up, um, if it's impacting them or their work. So I think it's like really important to have on the radar and also to be really clear that, Um, this is an okay topic to discuss. 
Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, we talk about physical ailments all the time. And of course, it's not like you have to disclose anything. So we're not saying, you know, everyone should disclose all their health issues. But even just making the differentiation that you need some time for mental health, you don't have to tell people why. Um, But being able to have that discussion, being able to tell your leader that you need to take a sick day, but not because of physical illness, right? And not having because people even though legally you're not supposed to be asking people always question and ask and are prodding and rude and whatever right so it should be that if you're going to bring it up you can at least make it clear what type of help you need or what type of support you need so that people can be there and support you Um, because of course if you come in and you're like well I'm now on crutches and I'm going into an office and there's too many stairs or whatever like the organization would have to make some adjustments and help you as you're trying to come back to work or what have you, but we need to do the same thing for mental health and we don't do a good job of that. And the other piece is I think the coverage. So when we look at health insurance, this is a big problem too. I actually was talking to a group of employees and they were talking about how, you know, many of them were going to therapy, but they were spending like a grand a month out of pocket for therapy um, because the what the insurance covered was super minimal and not the types of therapists that they actually needed. So that is a huge problem, right? Like we yeah. know healthcare is a disaster, right? Our employers are providing healthcare benefits. This should be part of that. Like we should be thinking about, well, what mental health does that plan cover? Um, can we add some additional plans or programs and maybe it's something like optional, like, you know, People don't always opt in for vision or whatever, but being able to offer something where they can get more coverage that they're actually being able to take advantage of these types of um, healthcare systems and programs and things that they might need without completely breaking the bank. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Like when we see, you know, physical health struggles, not to say that, you know, physical health struggles don't have other kinds of stigma associated with them, but people are very cognizant like, oh, you know, I can see that you need help with that door. So, you know, obviously we need to do something about that. But from a mental health perspective, it's like people are kind of hiding in plain sight with things that they're struggling with. And because it's concealable, it's like, okay, you need to come out about it and um and so that can be really challenging and then if on top of it you're adding to the stress because you have all these financial worries on top of worries about your work and your life and um you know what you're struggling with um trying to keep all those puzzle pieces together it can become really overwhelming and so I think really like having those dialogues because it's important like you were talking about you had that conversation like Even that employees can say, you know, it should be brought to someone's attention that our health benefits for mental health aren't what they need to be. And this is what people are facing when they're trying to pay their bills and get this kind of coverage. So I think also it's one of those things where like the more you make it destigmatized to talk about and again, like not that people should or have to share their diagnoses, but that people just feel like, okay, it's okay to say that sometimes people struggle with mental health and this is where the company's doing well and this is where we need help gives you so much more information to then be able to act in ways that actually support your employees holistically. Yeah, exactly. Like the conversation is so important. And I think the other piece is kind of tied to the next um, 
trend that we've identified is flexibility because when it comes to mental health support, we know that people also need flexibility to make appointments, right? Like you're a lot of therapists, I mean, some therapists work in the evening. It's not like it's impossible to have therapy sessions later in the day, but sometimes you might need to have a therapy session in the middle of the workday and that should be okay, right? As much as possible, depending on your work, being able to schedule and be flexible, I think is really important as well. So giving the benefits, having those conversations and being able to be flexible so people can take that moment to take care of themselves, even if it's during the workday, um, I think is critical. So again, that leads to our next trend of continued flexibility. Um, so we know that overall, we're dealing with a very different work environment as we've talked about with COVID and remote work and all this stuff and we need to make sure that organizations need to make sure that we're still thinking about how to provide effective flexibility to employees. Yeah like I think that something that's really interesting and um, you know certainly I'm sure you all have seen is prior to the pandemic so many people were stuck in this idea that the work that we do can't be done remotely. And even for companies where people in their space were doing the same type of work remotely, there were a lot of people that were just like, you know what? No, we can't get it done. And it's been interesting to see how companies are responding now that there have been some back to work initiatives and things of that nature that there are still people that are trying to pretend like what we did for the last couple of years didn't work or couldn't work under other circumstances. And, and part of it is because we were coping with working from home and also people had their kids at home. And also it was a super stressful time in society. But, um, and so like, you know, there are some folks that would say like, well, I didn't really like working from home as much, but sometimes if you take away those other added elements, it might make working from home a little different than it was during the pandemic. Um, so we know generally that having flexibility and being able to work when and where you want is pretty broadly good for employees. So I think companies need to kind of like stop trying to pretend like they didn't kind of open (laughs) Pandora's box here and try to like, Oh wait, like, sorry, that didn't, that didn't work. Like we see it happening with um, different events too, right? Like virtual events or virtual conferences and there are some groups that are like no like we're just going to pretend like that virtual thing doesn't work well there are some elements of these things that people like better virtually and there are elements of work that people like better virtually so how can we kind of get the best of both worlds and really capitalize on what we've learned does work as opposed to just like pretending like that didn't happen and going back to the way things were before when you really can't do that Yeah, I think that's a really important call out. Like, you can't put it back in the box, right? We are now in a very different environment. And this kind of, I mean, this all ties into everything we've already been talking about, right? Like, the idea of the great resignation and the, the laying flat piece. Like, if you were remote for a year, two years, what have you, because of COVID, and then suddenly your employer is making you come back in and saying you can't do your work remotely, how does that make somebody feel? <laughs> it makes them feel terrible. Like they clearly were doing fine. Um, they feel un- like they're not being trusted. So there's a lot of issues with just ignoring, like you said, ignoring the fact that this had happened and that we have to go back to quote normal. Um, and I think it's really important that organizations take a good hard look at the way that they were doing business and create concrete plans as to how they want to move forward. I mean, some people probably want to come back to the office. So how can you create a hybrid environment? 
that makes sense for everybody? What are the things that you can do to make sure that your culture permeates this flexible environment? How can you ensure that people have the flexibility they need while still the structure that maybe they need to get things done? Um, I think there's a lot to think through and there's a lot of conversations that need to happen with employees to make sure that you're thinking about everything the way they're thinking about it so that you can continue to create an environment where people are are happy, are comfortable, and are able to live the lives that they want to live while still, you know, doing their jobs in the way that you need them to do them. So there's a lot to figure out and think through, and it's complex. It's not an easy answer as to how you want to move through this environment and create the right type of flexibility for your company, but it's something you can't ignore and just go back to the the fake normal, the, the pre-COVID normal that is no longer going to be normal like it's just not we have to just accept it things have changed dramatically yeah yeah I think you're 100% correct and like I know some companies that are doing a good job of making these kind of hybrid spaces that you're talking about like this one company that I'm very familiar with they got rid of their corporate headquarters space so they sold that space but that gave them some additional like revenue obviously like some income to play with to figure out kind of more creative ways of well how do we balance this like in-person versus virtual and so once a month for a week they rent a space in a hotel and bring everybody together during that week to have any in-person meetings or to work on any projects that need to be worked on that are better worked on face-to-face And they also reserve a small portion of that space that's always available for employees. So there's like a small co-working space. So like if you really want to get together and work with an employee on something, you have a space that you can do that. But the larger space is reserved for this one week. And they sort of push employees to try to, as much as they can, do other things virtually, which works out well. But if there's something that they really need to, you know, sit down for eight hours with a team of people they try to get them to do that during that week time period so it's like everybody's coming together and having this really productive week where they're working together in person and getting all this stuff done and then they have all these action items to follow up on for the next three weeks and then they meet up again and do it again for a week and that seems to be working well like it's helping people to still stay connected and see each other but also they have a lot of flexibility um in their schedule still so it's like not feasible for everyone to do that they're a fairly small company but People are coming up with creative ways to say, okay, if we're not as tied to our physical space, what can we do with the money we would have spent on physical space to actually create innovative ways of collaborating? Yeah, that's really interesting because, I mean, obviously for a small company, that makes sense. For a larger company, though, you could think about doing something like that quarterly or you could have, you know, opportunities and budget for people to get together when they need to for certain teams. But it's also a I don't know. I find it very fascinating because there's a lot of organizations that are super giant and global and dispersed, and yet they would still have people come into an office all the time and work with somebody in a different country or a different um, state or what have you. So like people have been working across boundaries for a very long time. And, yeah. but there's just been this like weird, like you have to be in this specific office space. So for organizations like that, that are super global and you're working with people all over the place, it doesn't like, it doesn't even actually make sense when you think about it now, practically right. that right. they were doing that and making that so strict. Um, so I think that there, and there's flexible ways, like you said, to do that. Cause maybe it'd be way better instead of having a headquarters in New York, 
it'd be better for the people that work in New York and sometimes also are working with people in Hong Kong to like maybe do an annual trip and see each other. Like that right. seems like a much better use of funds to have that opportunity to be together and do some work together versus having, you know, three people in New York and three people in Hong Kong working together, but not working together because they're not in the same place anyways. Right. Exactly. Yep. I think that's, I think that's definitely a really good call out and just thinking about this, just allowing yourself to think about how can you maintain flexibility while preserving some of the pieces of things that we know are good about connecting and relating with people and working on things in real time. Like how can you go about doing that and asking your employees like what they prefer and um, if they have ideas about what would help them to be most productive could also be useful. So um, we can't try to pretend like we didn't just do what we did for the last couple of years. <laughs> um, and so how can we preserve the positive pieces of what we just did and also bring back some things if we feel like we may have lost something in the shuffle? Yeah, agreed. And I think what you just said about talking to the employees about this is a big piece, right? They have ideas too. They know what works for them. There might be some nuggets of gold that if you just try to decide how to do this from an HR perspective or the leadership team, you'll miss out on. So I think including employees is really key in figuring out what work is going to look like in the next few years. Yeah. And that brings us to our fourth trend, which is inclusion. Um, and um, yeah, so one of the big um, features of being an inclusive leader is to listen and learn and show some humility that you don't know everything and that you don't have all the answers and that you can take a step back and realize that there are places where you probably have blind spots that your employees could tell you about. Um, more and more, we are seeing uh, that companies are moving and have been moving for a while from talking about diversity to talking about diversity and inclusion. And now we see diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? Um, and a big piece of what we're seeing um, happening in organizations and what we hope will continue is that in order for organizations to really achieve DEI, we need leaders who can role model this from the top down. So it can't just be a bottom-up process. There has to be support from the top down. But unfortunately, there hasn't been a lot of great guidance in the past, especially from the research literature, on how leaders might best be inclusive. And so companies really seem to be looking for answers around this about how can they create competencies so that their leaders feel comfortable and confident talking about DEI and also act in accordance with those values because that's also super important. So um, we have been talking about this in organizations and have a pretty nice framework for um, uh, showing leaders how to be inclusive leaders. Um, but we're just seeing this like uptick in the popularity of this topic and people asking about, well, we know that this is important and our leaders buy that this is something that they should do, but we don't know how to get there from a behavioral perspective. So uh, kind of this idea of being able to grow your leadership inclusivity capacity seems to be the next sort of front um, for leaders in organizations. And this amazing framework was created by Katina. So I'm just going to shout that out because I think it's amazing. <laughs> um, but 
I think the thing that's really interesting is that organizations that, you know, maybe creating some strides towards DEI starting, you know, when in 2020, when we saw a big highlight on this type of work, right, for a while um, with the events that happened that summer. And then we've seen organizations continue to grow that, right? You probably, if you've ever looked online, there's lots of job postings for these types of roles. Teams have been built out and there's been some basic work being done across all sorts of organizations, organizations that didn't have this type of work being uh, worked on at all before, right? So we're seeing that these basics are being put into place and now we're getting to a point where organizations are hungry for more, which is where we get to this inclusive leadership model because it's not just what, you know, let's put in a statement about diversity, equity, inclusion. Let's look at our processes and make some changes there, which is obviously incredibly important to do um, and needs to happen first. And we need everyone to get kind of a baseline knowledge within an organization, not just the leaders, but then continuing to focus on making leaders extremely skilled at this and helping them become more and more inclusive is going to just continue to move the needle where these conversations can be super easy to have compared to what they were like three or four years ago because people are now comfortable. They have the tools. They can have these discussions. They can learn. They can continue to grow and make the changes that are important to the employees themselves within the organization, right? So yet again, we come back to this theme of talking to your employees and figuring out what they need. And an inclusive leader can only do that if they're being inclusive, right? If they've created a safe space where people feel comfortable sharing what they might need from a DEI perspective. So I think this is a really important focus and I'm really excited to see organizations asking questions about this and thinking about how to make their leaders stronger, what toolkits they might need, et cetera. Um, so I'll be really interested to see how this grows and evolves over time. Yeah. And I think that the inclusive leadership place is a good place to end up because the more inclusive your climate is, the better your culture is, the less stigma there will be uh, around uh, people who might be viewed as like varying from what has been a very like traditional staid norm, like in a mental health perspective. And people are more likely to listen and learn about how employees work best um, and try to accommodate that because they're learning things that they didn't otherwise know. Um, so I think it's a good place to end up because it also sort of has implications for the other three arenas that we talked about um, if you can grow leader inclusion. So I really like these four trends and I'm happy that we um, talked about these and I hope we see more of them in organizations. Um, and I also hope that this serves not only as a sort of a reminder that there's growing conversation about these things at work, but also maybe a reminder to get your own company and yourself focused around how you can promote um, these trends in your own workplace. Yeah, I love your summary <laughs> of all four because they do all tie in nicely together. So I think that's I think that's great. I mean, I think if if an organization focuses on just one of these, there's going to be impact on the other three. So that's I think a really interesting thing about the trends and how, where we're seeing them go because I mean, really what it comes down to is creating a a positive workplace and something that we care about a lot and obviously has always been a trend that's near and dear to our hearts, but we do see it outside of just our hearts right now. <laughs> so yes. that's good. Um, and other people paying attention and focusing on that. So yeah, I am excited to see what 2022 brings. And if we're able to see some of the these trends kind of really blow up and hopefully continue to make workplaces better and better within our culture. Me too. Thanks so much for uh, going through these trends. 
Yeah. And thanks everyone for listening. Um, hope you have a happy new year as well and great 2022. Um, as always, you can find us on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at WorkerBeing on our website at WorkerBeing.com. You can check out our YouTube channel also at WorkerBeing. Um, and you can always email us at contact at WorkerBeing.com. And just a little uh, snippet in terms of things that are coming up this year. We do have an event next week on January I don't even remember anymore. 10th, <laughs> I think. Um, <laughs> check out our social media and you will see a post. And if you want to join us, join us for our first event of the year, um, you'll find all the details there. Thanks for listening. The Worker Being Podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabar and Katina Sawyer and produced by Allie Johnson. 